Thank you for joining the Together Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our prayer is, is that today's message will inspire you and help you move closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Together Church, here we are again. We're together at home. I mean, I am so glad that you're joining us wherever it is today, whether it's on your couch or in your car, wherever you're watching or listening. Thanks for uh Thanks for joining us. During this time, why don't we just keep in mind that no matter where we are, we are still in this together. So why don't we commit to praying for one another and praying for our community and during these times? Because we just don't know, but I believe that God is still at work. Listen, we're in week three of our series on Jonah. I just want to do some, uh, just catch you up. In week one, we learned that God had called Jonah, the prophet of Israel, to go to minister to the people of Nineveh. You remember this? Jonah had a hatred for the Ninevites because They were this cruel people, and Jonah didn't feel like they deserved the mercy of God. So Jonah decides to run from that call. So he books a boat, and he's going to go to the coast of Spain and be go to this little town called Tarsus. It was located uh, right in Spain. So he figures that he can put some distance in between the calling that God has and his desire. But while on the boat, the storm appears, and sailors on the boat feared for their lives, so they quickly realized that Jonah was the cause of the problem. So they threw Jonah overboard. And as soon as he hits the water, the storm ceased and Jonah thought, I'm safe. Everything is good. But that was until a great fish came and it swallowed Jonah. And he spent the next three days inside that fish until he began to cry out to God. After Jonah repented, the fish spits him out. And that's where we left the story off last time. So let's look at Jonah chapter three and verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, get this, The second time. This is the second chance. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter one, Jonah rejected it. He rejected it. Now God is giving him a redo, a second chance. The second chance is evidence of God's persistent calling and his patient love for us. I mean, it's evidence of his sovereignty. God's desire is to save the city of Nineveh. And he's going to use Jonah as his messenger. And that hasn't changed. I mean, what God wanted Jonah to do hasn't changed. His disobedience didn't change God's mind. That's because God, again, has this relentless love. And he he wants to use us. He has a calling for us. So Jonah is getting his second chance, the, the fish spitting him out. And then God begins to give Jonah his instructions. In verse two, it says that, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Call out against it the message that I tell you. Here's the thing about second chances. God will often take you back to the place where you said no. God's not going to take you anywhere until you can go back to the place where you said no to him and say yes. If you think about it, Jonah's call didn't become easier the second time. I mean, at this point, Jonah has run from God. He sold everything. He's been in a storm. He's been thrown overboard. He's been swallowed by a fish. He stayed in this fish for three days. And after all of that, God's response is arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah apparently learned his lesson this time because verse three tells us that he went to the city of Nineveh. He didn't want to take any more chances because that fish could always just come back on shore and grab him. And verse three tells us so that Jonah arose, says obedience. He repented. Now he's obedient. Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. 
In the past, Jonah did not. In the past, some of us, you and me, we did not. But this time, Jonah says yes. He says, yes, God, you tell me to do it, I'll go. Tell me to speak, I'll speak. Tell me to give, I'll give. Tell me to love, and I'll love. You tell me to do whatever it is, my answer is yes. That's what you and I, our response to God when he calls us. This is Jonah right now. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, Nineveh, you got to understand, is a really big city. So to walk all the way through the city, you're going to have to walk about eight miles among approximately somewhere around 600,000 residents are living there at the time. To put that in perspective for you, the town of Monk's Corner only has around 12,000 residents. And Berkeley County has right at 228,000 people. Jonah has a message for these 600,000 people in Nineveh. Hey, it was not a good message. So he has to deliver a not-so-good message to a not-so-nice people. He's traveled all this way to deliver what would be a five-word message in the Hebrew language. He says, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. We don't know if that was all of his message, but it is all that is recorded. The word overthrown in the Hebrew language can have two meanings. It can, overthrown can mean like overturned, or it can mean changed. And Jonah's giving them the swift warning that they can either be overturned or changed. So he delivered this message to them, and, he, and nobody even argued with him about it. They didn't take a shot. Remember, these are some cruel people. He walked into a hostile area. He gave them this stern warning. He wasn't arrested. He wasn't mocked. For Jonah, he probably thought by even speaking this that he was going to be put to death. There was going to be a death sentence. But something unexpected happened. If we look at verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh, you ready, believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Now, I want you to catch that. The people repented. They repented. They mourned their sin and they fasted. Not some of them, all of them. Verse 5 said, from the greatest to the least. The people's response is to immediately believe, and they respond. Now, we don't know why they quickly believed, but we do know they did. And what is clear is that God's Spirit took those five Hebrew words, and He made them seem so real and so urgent to these people in Nineveh that they repented of their sin. God uses the few simple words that Jonah speaks to bring about this great repentance and salvation to an entire city. God was at work in the hearts of the Ninevites way before Jonah got there. He just needed Jonah to go and speak the words that God had given him. So God using you to bring people to himself is what we call evangelism. I've always heard evangelism being described as like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, sharing the gospel. But for most of you, that word can paralyze you when you hear the word evangelism. It makes you nervous, anxious. And I, I used to be that way. I remember my first job in the church was as a part-time youth minister in Greenville, South Carolina. And 
on this one particular Saturday, our church was hosting what they called an evangelism Saturday. It was a grits blitz. That name alone should tell you all that you need to know. But let me proceed with this story because it changed the way I saw things. You know, we were going to get together and everybody was going to be assigned a list of people to go visit. And they were going to drop off church information. The goal was to get people saved. And once we were done, we were going to come back to the church. We we're going to have this breakfast, these grits. We were going to share about all the people that we had ministered to. But let me point out the obvious thing. It's Saturday morning before breakfast. And we're giving addresses to strangers' houses. They had no idea that we were coming. And we're about to knock on their door and ask them, if you died right now, where would you spend eternity? I thought to myself, this is not going to go well. My wife Alice and I loaded up in our little Mercury Mystique at the time, and we, we headed out. That whole drive, we were so uncomfortable. And all I could think about was, what if somebody came to our apartment and on a Saturday morning and knocked on our door and woke me up and began to ask me, where are you going to go? Well, we pulled up to our first house and we just sat in that driveway contemplating what was about to happen. So we thought about it. We thought hard about it. We, we prayed about it. We asked ourselves, what would Jesus do? And we figured he's not going to wake somebody up and force the gospel down their throat. So we peeled out of that driveway in that four-cylinder Mercury, and we went on a date and we went to IHOP and got breakfast early that day. But do you know why that made us so uncomfortable to evangelize? Because it was forced and it was awkward. We were expected to come back with results. And we want to know how many souls you guys won for Jesus. It was not Holy Spirit driven. It was not Holy Spirit results. And there have been other moments where I felt socially awkward when I'm trying to share the gospel with somebody. I didn't know what to say. I didn't even know where to start. I was terrified that I was going to say the wrong thing and that person was going to end up going to hell and it was going to be my fault. The problem with all of that was I was placing all of the weight of the outcome of somebody else's salvation on my shoulders. I didn't feel qualified to share Jesus. But here's what I've learned, that God wants to use normal people to do his work and to share his gospel. God wants you to become this effective witness for him. And there are two things that you've got to understand from this story if you want to become an effective witness. And these are going to take the weight off of your shoulders so that you can share the gospel. In Jonah 2.9, you remember he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah preaches a five-word sermon. His heart wasn't in the sermon. He didn't want to be in Nineveh. He didn't want the people in Nineveh to find salvation. His message was not a great message. It was simple. He didn't even have any points. He wasn't any jokes in it. He didn't have any altar call type emotional music in the background. But yeah, the people responded. They didn't respond because of his message. They responded because God was stirring the hearts of the people for salvation. The Bible says the Ninevites believed God. Notice, they didn't even believe Jonah. They believed God because the Bible tells us that God works in people to bring repentance. That's not something that you and I can do. We don't have to seal the deal with people. Here is the one that... He, he creates the hunger in the hearts of people. He's the one who arranges circumstances so that they would want to know God. He's the one who gives faith. 
Paul alludes to this in Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament. He, he says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is, listen, not from yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. You know what Paul means by this? You know what all this means? If you're a follower of Jesus, this means the weight of evangelism is off of your shoulders. It's not your job to convince people to trust in Jesus. It's not your job to save people because you can't save people. God does that. That's his job. Our job, because we have one, is to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will take it from there. We don't need to worry about having the right words to say. And can I let you in a little secret? People aren't converted by our big words or our persuasive powers of the flesh. People are converted to the gospel by the power of God. And you can preach the greatest sermon in the world, and you can share the most powerful story that you've ever experienced. And if God's not working in the hearts of the people, then what you've said won't have any kind of an effect on them. But on the other hand, you can preach the worst sermon ever. You can do a horrible job sharing your story. And God can use that to save people. So just relax. Salvation is God's to give. It's not yours. You just need to share the good news. Our objective is to get the word of God into people's lives, to get them in the presence of his word. And our objective is not their salvation. Only God can do that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Our objective is to get them in the presence of the word of God. And that's it. And God's word does the work from there. He does the saving, and we point them to Jesus. And God is at work all around us, just like he was in Nineveh. But there's a part that only you can play, and that's proclaiming the word of God to other people. Just like Jonah, people responded to the message because God was working in their hearts. And because you know God's word is power, look what happens next in the story. The word soon reached the king, and immediately he issued a proclamation. Everything changes here. Verse 7 says he issued this proclamation he published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, he said, Let neither man nor beast or herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed on drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Listen to what he says. God may turn and relent. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, when God saw their obedience, how they had turned away from their evil, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Why would God forgive the Ninevites? Because they were an evil and vile people. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why he forgave them. Because God overflows with compassion and grace. He never delights in judgment. He never delights in the death of the wicked. He delights in mercy. And I love this picture of God. Give God half a chance and he overwhelms you with mercy because he's like a father. In verse one, Jonah gets grace. In verse 10, the Ninevites get grace. God is the grace giver. And just like Jonah, he gave the Ninevites a second chance as well. As we close, I want you to understand that sometimes the most simple 
and unassuming words can be the most profound. God doesn't need you to have some fancy word to accomplish his desires. Rather, he lovingly invites you to lend your voice to his message and to join him in his work. And like a child going to work with his dad, we're invited to watch God the Father learn how he speaks and say and do what he does. And Jonah's simple obedience brought about salvation for an entire city. I just want to challenge you today to hear from God. Share your story. Your story is the second greatest story ever told. The first greatest story ever told is what Jesus did for us. The second is what he has done for you. Just share with people. Let them know what God is doing in your life and let the Holy Spirit do the heavy work.